Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone in the world, and welcome back. This is episode 40 of Han Talks First. This is the podcast you're looking for, where we talk everything you know and love about the fantastic world of Star Wars. Now, like I said last week, today is going to be a very short episode. I just wanted to go over this interview I found with Chris Terrio that hasn't seen the light too much because everyone's kind of focused on the... um, Colin Trevorrow leaked script and the Obi-Wan story and all this kind of stuff. So I wanted to shed some light on this because I found it very interesting. Uh, But before we do, I just want to remind everybody about social medias and rating and commenting on the podcast on Apple Music. It helps out a lot. So please give it a shot. Give Give it a shot. Give it a try if you find yourself so inclined. So this interview with Chris Terrio, um, I forgive me. I forgot the article it was, but once I'm done recording here. I will go click on the link and I will attach it to the description of this podcast so you can check out the full thing. Because I'm not going to read the entire article. But there was four or five, there was four main questions that were asked of him that I found very interesting and he gives very, very thorough responses. So I'll jump in with the first one here and it says, the interviewer says, Ray Palpatine. What were the ins and outs of that significant choice? And of course, he's asking about the reveal that Ray was Palpatine's grandchild all along. Now, from here on out, I'm going to be reading as Chris Terrio, and I'm going to be reading his, his comment here, his answer. So I will let you know once I jump back into my own uh, thoughts on what he says here. So he says... We also thought that Ray's art cannot be finished after episode 8. You can leave episode 8 and say, Well, now Ray is content. She's discovered her parents aren't Skywalkers or whatever, and that's fine. But so much of her personal story was about where she came from, what kept her on Jakku all those years, and the trauma that shaped her. We see quite strongly in episode 7 that something mysterious and troubling happened to her. Although she did get some answers in episode 8, we didn't feel that her story was over. We felt that there were still more questions in Ray's head about where she came from and where she was going. So that was the other big idea that we had to address in this film. Ryan's answer to what's the worst news Ray could receive was that she comes from junk traders. And that's true. She does come from junk traders. We didn't contradict that. But when J.J. and I spoke, he said, well, that's an even worse answer or elaboration of that news. What could that be? And we thought the worst answer 
was that she was descended from the family who are the enemies of her new family, her adoptive family. Leia is a mother figure to Rey in a way that no one else has ever been since she lost her real mother. So, the idea was that Rey, who's had inclinations towards the dark side, would learn in her cor- through the course of this movie that Leia is training the descendant of her greatest enemy, and that she has the force strength of Leia's greatest enemy. Discovering that you actually descended from your adoptive family's gr- greatest enemy, the same enemy who corrupted Anakin Skywalker, and is responsible for the destruction of the Skywalker family in the first place, felt most devastating to us. Based on that, we were very moved by the idea that Leia would have known from the very beginning, but since she still saw such hope, heart, and spirit in Rey, she decided that she was going to take a chance on putting all the hope in the galaxy into the hands of the descendant of her greatest enemy. As Luke says, some things are stronger than blood. That felt like a really strong story point to us. Therefore, at the end of the movie, when Rey declares herself a Skywalker, that felt like the end of that conversation, which is to say that when you get to choose your family, and really, you get to choose your ancestry, Rey rejects blood ancestry that she has inherited, and instead, she chooses the ancestry of the Jedi. When all the Jedi come to Rey at the end, one of the Jedi lightly says, We are your ancestors now. In the background, and I think that's true, she chose the spirituality of ancestry of the Jedi instead of the blood ancestry of Palpatine. What we did discover in this movie, and hopefully in retrospect, is that she's essentially a princess who's been raised as an orphan. The idea that the royalty of the dark side would have found a scavenger in the middle of nowhere, literally living off the ruins of the old war that was created by her ancestors, felt really strong to us. We could agree more with the debate about the demonicization of the Force, but for purposes of this story, we thought that it was more interesting and a mythic answer if it turned out that Rey, descendant from one of the families that has been the center of the whole saga the entire time. In the end, the film asserts that there are things stronger than blood because she chooses a different family for herself. Okay, that is the end of his very long response. And that's really why I wanted to talk about this Q&A he had, because he gives such thorough answers, and it really brings up a lot of interesting points that were kind of left hanging in the movie. But what I think about his answer here is that it makes sense, and it's it's a beautiful story. However, this would have been a very, very beautiful story if it had been established from the very first conversations they had when writing episode seven, just having that overall storyline. And I think it would have had consistency throughout all the episodes because he essentially says in his response here that, okay, we had a story in seven that we wanted to get answers to. Ryan answered it by saying they're nobodies, they're junk traders. So we were like, hey, what if we like fix that and answered what happened in episode seven? Now, coming from someone that didn't like The Last Jedi, I actually don't agree with the reasons why they chose to make Rey a Palpatine and making her this ancestry of the dark side and having to choose her own family. I do love it in the movie and I love The Rise of Skywalker, but a part of me feels like this is 
lazy writing on Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams' part because they couldn't figure out what to do with episode eight to keep the story moving forward, that they had to readjust some things and make it from a certain point of view and go back and make the ending they wanted to from episode seven. Some could argue that this is what happened with the original trilogy. And, you know, they didn't have a plan when they first went into it. And at the very end of the Return of the Jedi, Obi-Wan Kenobi tells to Luke, like, hey, this was from a certain point of view, that um, Darth Vader betrayed and murdered your father. After we already realized that Obi-Wan lied to his ass and said that (laughs) that's what happened when really Anakin was Vader the whole time. So it's just a a matter of opinion. I mean, there's no right or wrong way for Ray Palpatine being justified. I do love that that's what came to be because for me, it makes it about the ultimate good and the ultimate evil in this storyline. And that's what it was in the prequels as well. And the original trilogy. Okay, so the interviewer continues on and asks him this second question here. The film has a pivotal scene with Han and Kylo that is reminiscent of your Clark and Jonathan Kent scene in Batman vs. Superman. Did you pitch this idea with that device in mind since you knew you couldn't use Han as a Force ghost? Chris Terry replies with this. Well, we had early talks about how this trilogy could not be resolved without some kind of atonement with the Father. Atonement with the Father is a very Joseph Campbell idea. In a way, the great family sin of Kylo was peritical. He killed his father. He committed any number of sins throughout the galaxy. He's not an angel. He's done many truly horrible things. But on a level of the family saga, as in any Greek myth, It was the killing of a parent that is the central sin that needs to be atoned for. In that scene, Han is not a force ghost, as you say. He's a memory. Ren needed to ask his father for forgiveness. Early in the movie, we hear Rey say, You can't stop seeing what you did to your father. And even in the shared force vision, Ren sees the death of Han. That is the only when... Sorry, I think that's a typo. That is the only way that Han has been appearing to Ren, in his memory, in that moment of death. At this moment, after Ray's act of mercy, the light starts to come back for him, and as soon as the light starts to come back, he can see his father as he really was in real life. Then, they can now have a kind of intimacy that they haven't had, really, since Ren turned to the dark side in the events we saw in Episode Eight. There is similarly... There is a similarity of Clark and his dad, but I think it goes much deeper than that. It's a mythic archetype that has run through myth and literature from the beginning, which is coming face to face with the father and the atonement with the father. It's part of Hamlet. It's part of many great stories. After that Wren conciliation, we wanted to put Wren down a path of redemption, at least in his head. He can never take back what he did to Han. We can't take back our actions or words said in anger or in hatred. But Ren, at least in that moment, gets to have a replay of the scene in Episode 7, the way that he wished it had gone. In that moment, Ren gets to find kind of peace, essentially now that he he knows he was manipulated. Just like his father said, it wasn't only Snoke that manipulated him. 
It was the enemy from the old wars that was manipulating him. He's been very, he's been every voice inside of his head. Okay, so what is Terio saying here? He's essentially saying that Palpatine was the ultimate reason why Ben was turned to the dark side, which is apparent in The Rise of Skywalker. As he says, I've been every voice you have ever heard inside your head. And which was one of my greatest moments from this movie. I do wish they hadn't shown that in the the final trailer before the movie's release, because that would have been such a great moment to see for the first time in the theater. I don't I don't know why they played that for everybody. It's anyway. Great moment. Got the Jar of Snokes, which would be a great band name. But anyway, this is about the Han scene. So when I when I first saw it, everyone in my theater was gasping when they saw Han Solo because we didn't expect Harrison Ford to be in this movie because he was so eager to get out of the franchise. But um, it was really cool to see him in there, and I this was one of my favorite moments in the film. This whole sequence of events, I've talked about this, when he's fighting with Rey, this is their last big fight, and it's pretty epic too, on top of the Death Star. And then Leia calls out to Kylo, causes him to freeze, and then that's when Rey hits him. But then when Leia called out to Kylo, that was a moment of her sending all of her energy there and almost force-linking them together, letting him know that, hey, I'm going to die because I'm trying to reach out to you. And then he realizes, fuck, my mom is dying, and I didn't even get to, like, I, I wasted my whole life being evil. Ray strikes him down in the gut, and then, and then still can't kill Kylo. He's like, I... Ray is, is the most compassionate person in Star Wars, I think. And she feels guilty of what she did, so then she heals him. And then she says, I wanted to take your hand, but Ben's hand. And then in this moment where Kylo Ren is trying to decide what he's going to do, it, you, there's a definite back and forth in his head of what, what is right and what is wrong. And... You know, if Luke hadn't tipped him over the edge, he probably would have been okay. But that's we, there's a whole story there to tell, too. But anyway, wakes up, he replays this memory in his head of his father, and he wishes it had gone down a different way. And that was one of, my, that was one of the most beautiful scenes for me. I got very emotional. And then, of course, Leia dying. And then Chewie finding out that whole... 15 minute sequence of the fight, the memory, Leia's death. That was my favorite part of the movie. And um, I think it will always be my favorite part of The Rise of Skywalker. But I do like how he relates this back to the atonement with the father. I mean, we talked about how in my A New Hope review episode, how it was based off Joseph Campbell's A Hero's Journey. And the atonement with the father was one thing that was not in A New Hope. However, it can be seen that the atonement with the father is Luke to Obi-Wan Kenobi. But since there was a sequel in Empire, we realized that it was that because his father was the ultimate evil is when he had to 
get that atonement back. But it was flipped around, and actually Vader needed an atonement with his son, which is kind of a beautiful twist on that archetype. So that's it for the Han Solo, Kylo Ren scene. The next question he was asked here was, what was the rationale behind only showing Luke and Leia's force ghosts on Tatooine and not including the remaining Skywalkers, Anakin and Ben? And Chris Terrio answers with this. We absolutely discussed who would be there at the end. It's not as though those force ghosts will never appear to Rey now that she really is the first of the new Jedi. I think she has all of those Jedi behind her. J.J. was pretty clear about the idea that he didn't want to take away from the moment of Leia finally appearing as a force ghost and the twins finally being together. This might be in the novelization, but we talked a lot about how Leia lost her home. Alderaan is gone, so she could never take Luke to see where she grew up as a princess. But Luke could have taken Leia to see where he grew up as a farmer. But the twins never got to Tatooine together. So the idea of seeing the twins together after the sabers are laid to rest felt like it was something that was very moving to me and J.J., To circle back one year earlier questions, besides the friends being together, I suppose our main goal of the first few weeks, because we were working largely with Leia footage, was to fulfill the promise of there is another in the film. It has to put Leia into the Jedi Pathion. To do that without new footage of Leia was challenging, but that became the central story of Rey finishing the Jedi journey of Leia. That way, by the end of the film, Leia could join Luke as a Force ghost and spiritually join her father and all of the other Jedi. While you only see the twins in that moment, we thought that it would give Leia more centrility. And you would really feel the strength of seeing Leia in the Jedi afterlife for the first time. Spiritually, it's not a crazy idea that all the Jedi would be standing with them, but it might have been a visual shock to see all these new characters on Tatooine who weren't part of the story of Leia, Luke, and Rey. It's a fair question from fans because it's a question that we debated endlessly about what the final shot of Force Ghost would be. We spent hours and hours talking about this and debating it, and we decided that the moment when the Jedi have to be there for Rey, when it dramatically counts, is when she hears their their voices. So seeing them all at the end would be a lovely grace note, but we thought that Rey seeing her two masters, two Skywalkers, was stronger. Rey was in this unique position of having been trained by two Skywalkers, which is what's going on in the moment, where she destroys the Emperor. It's her, Luke and Leia standing together because she's got the two Skywalker sabers in her hands. Okay, that's the end of his response there. Now, there was a, there was a lot in this response, but it's essentially all talking about the the last shot of the movie, which is, Luke and Leia Force Ghost standing there looking at Rey. <laughs> and Rey looks over and <laughs> declares their name as her own. Uh, there's so many memes about it. I mean, one of my favorite ones is when she looks over, or the lady asks, <laughs> Rey who? And she looks over <laughs> to the side, looks back, and is like, Rey, Rey Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny. I'm sorry if the audio peaked for you guys, but 
That one gets me every time. There's another one that when she looks over, she looks back and she says, Ray, Ray Sand. And it, <laughs> and then it shows, or there's another meme where it shows Ray putting the, the Skywalker lightsabers in the sand. And then it shows Anakin and it's like a collage of Anakin making like a, a scared face or a cringy face. And it's like when he realizes he puts your lightsaber in the sand. <laughs> Funny stuff. So, what would I want to have seen? What Force Goats would I have wanted to see at the very last shot of this movie? Well, all of them. Every last fucking one of them. You remember that shot we got of all the ships and Poe's like, look at all those ships. Well, I wanted that, but all Force Ghosts at the end of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like literally every single Jedi we've ever seen, I want them to be a force ghost. But at the same time, it's like, <laughs> that would look so awkward, wouldn't it? And maybe the placement of it would make a difference. So maybe not put all those force ghosts at the very end of the movie, but wouldn't it be really cool to put them all behind her when she's going up against Palpatine? But, uh, even then, we've seen that before in the last Harry Potter movie when he has all his parents' force ghosts standing behind him going after Voldemort and then all those other people. I mean, it's all... No, that was that was a Goblet of Fire, wasn't it? When he first encounters Voldemort in true form? I don't know. Haven't seen those movies in a while, but I really should. But it's the same idea, right? Now... Another problem I would have had with it is why would Rey need help from all the other Jedi if she's like portrayed as the most powerful force user since Luke Skywalker? Maybe even more powerful. I don't we don't know. But it's just odd. It's all odd to me. But it would have been nice to see all these other force ghosts. You know, it'd be really really cool. Or at least some kind of Anakin Skywalker thing in there. Um, but one, if I had to pick one, I would actually pick Obi-Wan Kenobi. Old Ben. I would pick him coming back. I th- think that would have made a really interesting moment in this movie. Excuse me. Uh, something I want to touch on before I move on to this last uh, question and answer here is that, you know, Daisy Ridley always knew her parentage in these movies. I don't know if everyone knows this, but she did an interview back in like 2015 promoting The Force Awakens where she said that she had conversations with J.J. Abrams about where she came from. And she recently brought this up again and said that she has always known the origins of her parentage. Unlike almost everyone else in the world, Ridley has known for years who Ray's parents are, since Abrams told her on the set of The Force Awakens. And Ridley has said that she believes nothing has ever changed. I have a quote here that says, I thought what I was told in the beginning is what it is. I wasn't given any directive as to what that had to be, I was never given the information that she is this or she is that. 
And this is odd because Johnson insists that he had free reign to come up with any answer he wanted to that question. And I think that's where the problem lies. Now, there's rumor that J.J.'s original concept was to have Ray be a nobody from nowhere and no one. And Johnson ran with it. And then there's the other popular theory that Ryan Johnson just wanted to make her a nobody because he thought that would be interesting. And he also wanted to subvert the expectations because it was heavily set up in The Force Awakens. So all of this is very interesting to me. And I think Daisy Ridley is going to keep it to herself for a little while because I think she's trying to move away from Star Wars and focus on other projects. She keeps talking about how she really wants to be employed again. <laughs> it's so cute. I guess she just loves being an actress. Who wouldn't, right? Especially in Star Wars. Anyway, something to think about. Okay, the last and final question and answer here is as follows. The questionnaire asks, One of my favorite moments in the film is when Ray gazes at some green foliage on the Resistance base. Poe asked her about what she was looking at, but she merely replied with, Nothing. This beat echoes that moment in The Force Awakens where asphyxiated Ray says, I didn't know there was this much green in the whole galaxy. There's also a similar moment in The Last Jedi where she interacts with Rain for the very first time. I presume you were conscious of these callbacks. Chris Terrio responds with, I am so grateful that you pointed out that moment with Ray. The stage direction in the screenplay for that Ray moment in TROS is Ray stares at the jungle as though trying to memorize its green color. It's a callback to The Force Awakens, but it's also more than that because... Jean Claus is also the only real home she's ever known in her adult life. A place where she's loved. She doesn't want to leave because she knows nothing will ever be the same. <laughs> uh, that's not how Chris Terrio talks, and I honestly don't know why that impression came out, but it did. <laughs> Now, the most interesting thing I find about this quote is that we figured out the name of the base, Jean Kloss. That their last headquarter base is called Jean Kloss. They didn't say that in the movie, and everyone's been like speculating what the name is, where it's from, or whatever. And the way we find out is from a freaking interview. How crazy is that? Well, breaking news, everybody. Now, this was one of my. This. This question is the reason why I wanted to do a whole episode based on this interview, is because that moment in the movie, I saw the movie five times in theaters, and every single time, that moment has always bugged the crap out of me because I'm trying to figure out what the hell Ray was looking at. And if you guys don't remember, it's when they're all about to leave on their mission, and Ray's staring out into the jungle. And Poe's like, hey, what are you looking at? And she's like, oh, nothing. And then she's like, let's go. And it, it cuts back to the forest real quick. But every time I'm looking, and I, I just, I'm like, is there a forest ghost? Oh, my God, is there is there a panda? A really cute panda in the background munching on some bamboo? But uh, I, every time, I can't find anything. So this answer states it's just a callback to The Force Awakens when she says, never knew there was this much green in the whole galaxy. And I think that's beautiful. That's what I wanted out of that scene. And I love that it was unspoken. 
other people, my girlfriend, for example, thinks that <laughs> when I told her this, when I was like, hey, I found out what Ray was staring at. She's like, ooh, what? And um, I told her and she was like, then why don't you just say it? <laughs> so she wishes that they had uh, addressed it in the movie. But uh, that's just what makes her adorable. Okay, guys, that is it for today. What other questions could we ask Chris Terrio about this movie that we don't already know? What other things were characters looking at (laughs) that we'd have no idea what they were looking at? What's uh, the other symbolic reasons behind the jungle? Well, we'll just have to wait till next week's episode. But thank you so much for listening. Again, check out the social media. Cool photos on there. Please try and rate and subscribe or do whatever you have to do. You don't have to if you don't want to. But thank you so much for your continuing to come back and listen to what we have to talk about here on Han Talks First. And now, somehow, someway, somewhere, this week, may the Force be with you. Do it.